We are going to shift gears right now. We're going to go into the message. We have been in a series called The Parables of the Kingdom of God, and um, we have been examining these parables that Jesus told to uh, explain what the kingdom of God is like. Now, a parable is a short fictitious story. It's a, a story made up to communicate a moral point. And last week we talked about the parable of the weeds in Matthew 13, and it was thought-provoking, it was challenging, and, and we learned that unlike the parable of the sower, unlike the parable of the lamp, unlike the parable of the growing seed, in the parable of the weeds there was an identified enemy that was working really hard to disrupt the efforts of the farmer to plant his good seed. Now, we learned that the enemy can't stop what the farmer's doing. The enemy can't, can't destroy what the farmer's doing, but he's trying to disrupt it. He's trying to slow it down. And uh, we learned that the farmer revealed his desire for inaction in the situation. Remember, the, uh, the, the farmer's servants come to him and say, we can rip out the weeds. And he says, nope, just let the weeds grow. Just let them grow. I'll take care of it at the end. And this left-handed inaction that the farmer uh, communicates, this left-handed inaction can seem, it can seem really confusing to those of us who have a right-handed perspective of the world. Um, but Jesus assures us that the farmer has a bigger, better plan in mind to deal with the enemy, to deal with the weeds. And so that was last week, and it was, it was a little heavy, but it was, it was really challenging for me. This week, we're going to break down the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven, or some, some versions of the Bible call it the parable of the yeast. But first, I want to share a really quick thought with you. Uh, in preparing for this message, um, I read an article about creative writing and storytelling. And in this article, it, it talked about the use of the unstoppable force, like idea or metaphor, in storytelling is one of the worst things you can use. Um, it's, it's one of the worst tropes. You should never use it. Avoid it at all costs in storytelling, right? Because there's issues with unstoppable force uh, in, in a story. It's boring. It, it, it's really boring. If you think about it, when there's an unstoppable force in a story, there's a lack of stakes, right? There's nothing, there's nothing at stake. The outcome is, is predetermined. You know exactly how the story is going to end. It's really boring, right? Um, another issue with an unstoppable force in storytelling is a lack of conflict. There's no one to oppose this force. There's, there's no nemesis. There's no... Um, there's no equal opposite uh, rival of the unstoppable force. Nothing can stop it, right? And there's also another problem. Uh, there, in, in storytelling, uh, when there's an unstoppable force, there's a lack of tension or suspense. Any good story is built around tension. Think about your favorite movie. Your favorite movie, there is some kind of tension in that movie that is resolved at the end. You're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Whether it's a comedy or a drama or a thriller or whatever, there's some kind of tension that leaves you hanging. It's like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And the movie resolves it at the end and everybody lives happily ever, right? That's how a good story is told. I'll give you... Uh, I'll give you an, an, an example of what I'm talking about, this unstoppable force thing being boring. Take Superman, for example. 
the, the superhero Superman, right, with his superhuman abilities. It was, uh, Superman was created in 1938 by writer uh, Jerry Siegel and artist Joe Schuster. And uh, how do we describe Superman? Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, right? Superhuman abilities in a world of regular humans, right? I submit to you today, the world would have never fallen in love with Superman if it wasn't for two things, Lex Luthor and Kryptonite. The world would have never fallen in love with the idea of Superman if it wasn't for Lex Luthor and Kryptonite. Pastor Ryan, what do you mean? Superman does good. It's because there's somebody opposing him and it's because there's a substance that makes him a mere mortal that, that Superman has become a timeless story that is beloved by all. Tension, conflict, you don't know how it's going to end, right? That makes a good story. Good stories need those things, need tension, need conflict. The outcome needs to be in question. Well, in the parables of the kingdom of God, Jesus ignores all of that completely. <laughs> He ignores the, the principles of storytelling. He ignores that advice about the unstoppable force because all of his parables of the kingdom of God are about an unstoppable force called the kingdom of God, right? We learned in these parables that the kingdom is here and there's nothing that anyone can do to stop it. There's nothing that anyone can, can um, do or say or, or enact or anything. Nothing is going to stop the kingdom of God on earth. And we learned one of the major secrets of the kingdom that, that it works all on its own. It doesn't need any outside influence. It works all on its own. It's not dependent on me. It's not dependent on you. It's already at work and it's already going to accomplish what it set out to do. That's an unstoppable force if you ask me. We know the outcome. We know there's no equal opposite rival of the kingdom of God. We know that victory is never in doubt. Jesus completely, completely takes all the, the mystery and tension out of the story by telling us, I win in the end. And it's, it's going to be a blowout victory. It's a landslide victory. He takes out all the tension, all the mystery. Today we're going to look at the, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. But first, would you pray with me this morning? God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your word. And thank you, God, that you've given us the opportunity to come here this morning and, and hear from you. I pray, Holy Spirit, again, that you would open our hearts, that we might um, receive, receive your word today, receive the secrets of the kingdom, receive the secrets of the kingdom that are wrapped up in the mystery of your words. Help us, Holy Spirit. We love you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can open it up or turn it on to Matthew, or not Matthew, excuse me, Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. And really quickly, I just want to, I want to say like, the reason we're going through these parables is, is because one of our core values here is learning. And I want us to be students of the word of God because when we know the word of God better, we know God better. 
And that's the whole point of all of this is to know God, right? That's, what, that's our mission here at Anchor. Know God, make him known. Well, one of the best ways we can learn about who God is and learn about his character is to know his word. And so that's, that's what this is all about. It's about learning. It's about growing in, in our, our faith and in our knowledge of his word. And um, we are examining these parables to understand what God is after, what he's trying to accomplish. And um, really, before I read the scriptures, I want you to, to repeat after me. Say there and then. Oh, it's been a while since I've done that, guys. Come on. Say it like you mean it. Say there and then. There you go. That's better. There and then. What does that mean? It means for us to understand how the Bible applies here and now, we first have to understand what was going on there and then context. To understand the words of the Bible, I believe you have to understand the world of the Bible because the world of the Bible was different than our world. And what was going on there and then? Up to this point in Luke 13, Jesus has spent the entire the ent- entire like history of the gospels up to this point revealing his messiahship. He's been doing miracles and he's been slowly revealing, "Hey, I'm the son of God." Don't tell anyone. It's me. I'm who you've been waiting for, right? He's slowly been revealing that to people. And I believe he's been, re- he's been revealing his messiahship. He's been um, telling people who he is so he can establish his credibility when talking about this, the kingdom of God because it's so upside down. It's so backwards. It's so uh, different than what people were expecting. So he's been, he's been trying to establish credibility to talk about the secrets of the kingdom. Luke 13, verse 18. Then Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It is like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree, and the birds make nests in its branches. So a mustard plant is pretty small. Um, it never becomes a tree, but... Jesus in the parable says that God turns a mustard seed into a tree. Now, um, like mustard seeds are among some of the smallest seeds in the world. They're not the smallest, but they're among some of the smallest. Um, and up to this point, I've been talking about, right, Jesus, has been, um, Jesus has been using seeds a lot in the parables, and he's been talking about how, I've been talking about how small seeds are. Well, mustard seeds are even smaller than the, the seeds I've been talking about before. So Jesus is trying to help us understand just how small the thing started out. And, and the, the plants that mustard seeds grow into look like this. We have a, a picture for you, I believe. Yes. So that's all mustard plants grow up to, waist high. But Jesus said that the, mustard seed, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that grows into a great tree. A great, now, now some people might say, well, that's just the translation. Well, no. In the language that Jesus is using, there's a word for plant and there's a word for tree. And he clearly uses the word tree. He says the mustard seed grows into a great tree. Now, this next part really quickly is going to be um, a little bit of conjecture. So I'm going I'm to ask you to use your imagination a little bit. So he, he says a great tree. But he doesn't say what kind of tree. Scripture doesn't say exactly what kind of tree he's talking about. So I'm going to, again, use my imagination. Um, The most common tree in Israel is the acacia tree. So I think it would be 
I think it would be okay to assume that maybe Jesus was talking about, when he talked about a great tree, it'd be the acacia tree. This is what an acacia tree looks like. It's huge. It's big. And it's clearly not a mustard plant, right? So, so Jesus says that the, mustard, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that grows into a great tree. He's, again, breaking the laws of agriculture to make a theological point. So, Pastor Ryan, what's the point? Jesus is saying that like God can turn a mustard seed into a great tree, he can elevate a hidden kingdom to a highest place of honor. To a, he can take a kingdom that is seemingly nothing and make it the biggest thing in the world. And Jesus also uses uh, the imagery of, uh, in, this, in this parable, he uses the imagery of Ezekiel 17, Ezekiel 31, and Daniel 4. And these passages compare the nations of the world to birds. And this is, this is what he says. He says um, about the, the nation, he says, verse 19, it's like a mustard seed that a man planted in the garden. It grows and becomes a tree, and the birds make nests in its branches. These birds represent the nations of the world. Thus, the kingdom of God honors Jesus, honors this, this rejected Messiah, and the, the world finds its hope in him and his kingdom is essentially what he's saying. Now, let's look at the parable of the leaven, verse 20. He also asked, what else is the kingdom of God like? It is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So here Jesus breaks from the imagery of the seeds, right? He's used, I think, four examples of, of seeds up to this point. And he breaks from that imagery and he goes in a completely different direction. So like the previous parables we've examined, Jesus is using these parables to help people understand what the kingdom of God is like. Help people who's listening to him understand how different the kingdom of God is from what they think it's supposed to be. And he asks the question twice, what else is the kingdom of God like? And he uses, he uses images that his audience would understand. Now the problem for, for all of us is that the kingdom doesn't look the kingdom doesn't look at all powerful to us as we understand power. That's, that's one of the tensions of this, this whole thing is the kingdom doesn't look, the, the way Jesus is describing it, it doesn't look powerful to us the way we understand power, particularly in the 21st century. The, the wheat parable we, we read last week, right? The, the wheat still grows of its own accord even though the weeds are growing up alongside of it, Right? And worse yet, the farmer tells his workers, like, no, don't, don't, don't pull the weeds out. Just leave them. Let, let the weeds grow. Don't do anything. I'll take care of it in the end. It doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense to us. The kind of kingdom power at work in the world is indirect. It's hidden. It's mysterious. Martin Luther called it left-handed power. Right? I've, I've talked about this in, in a few of the messages before. Left-handed power, um, not right-handed power, not straight-line, direct power, but left-handed, intuitive, imaginative power. This left-handed power lets the weeds grow undisturbed with the wheat. And it forbids any well-meaning but ultimately harming intervention by the workers. The, kingdom, the kingdom's power is totally contrary to direct, take the bull by the horns, right-handed power. 
totally contrary. Today I have a few things that I want us to consider about these two parables that, uh, that we looked at. First thing to consider, first consideration is this. Jesus distances himself from end times discourse. There's a, there's a, hot, talk, a hot topic, hot button topic. Jesus distances himself from any end times talk. Pastor Ryan, you just said Jesus doesn't care about the end times. Pastor Ryan, you just said, you just said that, that he doesn't acknowledge the end times. If that's what you heard me say, let me assure you, I did not say that, and that's not what I mean. I didn't say Jesus doesn't acknowledge the end times or doesn't care about the end times. Context to anything in life is really important, okay? Context to anything in life is really important. Context is understanding, this is the definition, understanding the circumstances that form the setting of an idea or event. That's what context is. Understanding the circumstances that form the setting of an idea or event, and it's so crucial, especially in Scripture. We have to know the context of the Scripture to understand what the Scriptures mean. Now, if you look at the context of the parables, the verses surrounding the parables, you'll see a theme. Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5 the words of Jesus. He says, not at all. And you will perish too, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish. And when Jesus uses the word perish, this is like the ultimate perish. This is the kind of perish that he was talking about in the final judgment. That's what he's talking about when he says perish. This is before the parables we just read. You will perish too. You'll perish. The final judgment, he's talking about the end. Look at the the verses after our parable today. Verse 25 and 28. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and plead, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out, locked the door. It'll be too late. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, you'll be thrown out. All these statements are allegorical to the end. All these statements are are referencing the final judgment. And if we don't understand that what Jesus, all of what Jesus is saying works together and it all matters, If we don't understand that, we could very easily wind up with the interpretation that Jesus' sole concern is how things are going to end. If we don't understand that everything Jesus says all works together to tell us a truth, then we could very easily wind up with the interpretation that Jesus' main concern is how everything is going to end. But I submit to you today that what Jesus is doing, he's actually bringing to our awareness that the end times are a thing. He's bringing it to our awareness, but he's not emphasizing it. He's, he's, he's explaining like things are going to end. That is going to happen, but I don't want you to worry about that. I'm not concerned about that. This is Jesus talking, talking right now. He's, I'm not concerned about how it's going to end. I know how it's going to end. I win. The weeds are going to be burned up. I'm going to take all the good seed for harvest. Like, I know how it's going to end. I'm not worried about it. You shouldn't be either. Pastor Ryan, how'd you get there? We'll bring it back to the parables. 
I believe Jesus tells these parables to help his audience understand. Again, I'm not concerned with the end. You shouldn't be either. Let's look at the, the parables really quickly again. Luke 13, 18 through 19, Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It's like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in the garden. It grows and becomes a tree, and the birds make nests in its branches. This parable is about people finding rest in him now. This parable is about people finding safety in him now. This parable is about people finding hope in him now. This parable is about people finding life in him now. It's not about one day. He wants the world to find his kingdom now. That's what it's about. Remember what I said earlier? This is a callback to the Old Testament imagery of the birds, the birds who represent the nations, right? The mustard seed that grows into the tree and, the, you know, that's the kingdom of God. And, and like, the, he puts these two parables about the, the world finding him now and his kingdom now right in the middle of all this end times talk. And, and he's, in my opinion, Jesus is saying this is what matters in this moment. It, does, it doesn't matter how it's going to end. It's going to end at one point, but I have that under control. It doesn't matter how it's going to end. What matters is here and now and that the world finds my kingdom now and that the world finds safety and hope and life in me now. Same thing with the parable of the leaven. He also asked, what else is the kingdom of God like? It is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Again, here he's saying the kingdom is here now. The kingdom is here now, and it's growing. This, this is what matters in this moment is what he's saying. It doesn't matter how it's going to end. What matters is here and now. All that end times, final judgment stuff, that will happen, and I'll take care of that. You don't need to worry about that. Worry about being people who bear the fruit of the kingdom now. So that's our first consideration today. That through the use of these parables, Jesus actually is distancing himself from end times talk, from, from end times discourse. Our next consideration today is this. The contrast between what's been sown and what's going to be reaped. Remember what I said about all the seeds, right? I, I mentioned it just a little bit ago. The parable of the sower, the parable of the growing seeds, the parable of the weeds. It just talked about seeds, right? Seeds, seeds. But then Jesus gets really specific in this, this parable about the mustard seed. And mustard seed, again, is a lot smaller than most other seeds, and I said seeds are small and seemingly insignificant. And when you drop them into a soil, basically they disappear. It's almost, like, it's almost like you've planted nothing at all. Well, it's even more so with a mustard seed. When compared to most other seeds, like they're, they're so much smaller. And, and in this parable, again, Jesus compares the kingdom to the seed that's sown. <coughs> it's already been sown, but it's hidden. It's, it's, it's already been sown, but it's been hidden, and that's the point. The kingdom of God is already here, but we just, we just don't know it yet. The kingdom of God at its inauguration is tiny and hidden compared to what it will one day become, is what Jesus is saying. Jesus, he, he's, he's saying, like, so you want me to tell you about the end, huh? Okay. 
But I'm not going to tell you about how e- I'm not going to tell you about evil because evil against my kingdom does nothing. It, it's not going to stop anything. You want you want me to tell you about the end? All right. I'm not going to tell you about um, a- anything other than just a peaceable kingdom, right? The sun shining on the tree, the birds flying in and out and finding safety. The birds representing the nations, right? Everyone's happy, and it's it's a happily ever after story, right? Like. There's no mention of hostility that would tempt us into thinking like that the kingdom would arrive, like it won't arrive unless we force it to arrive. There's nothing like that. There's no uh, mention of, of human response to suggest that it might need our cooperation uh, in, in order to come out the right way. There's nothing like that. The mustard seed becomes a great tree and everything's good. The kingdom of God is here now and it grows all on its own now and really quickly i think it's important to understand what the kingdom of god is not the kingdom of god is not america it's bigger than that the kingdom of god is not america it's bigger than that the kingdom of god is not even the Amer- the modern american church it's better than that the kingdom of god is not the conservative bible believing american church it's more important than that. No politician can thwart the kingdom of God. No human actions can threaten the kingdom of God. No false theology can remove the kingdom of God. It's here now, and it grows just fine all on its own under the sovereign decree and watchful, loving care of King Jesus. So that's first consideration today. Jesus distances himself from end times discourse. Second consideration is the contrast between what's been sown and what is to be reaped. Next, we have to consider this. Jesus makes an over-the-top claim about the kingdom of God with these parables. He makes an over-the-top claim. First of all, um, with the parable of the yeast or the parable of the leaven, he uses a completely new image, right? That of a woman making bread. Now, Who does the woman represent in the parable? The woman represents God. Now, that might not be too big a deal to anyone in here, but to the audience listening to Jesus, that would have been like, what on earth are you talking about? God is represented by a woman? Like that would have have upset a lot of people to compare God to a woman. So Jesus already, he's flipping things on his head. God, the kingdom of God is like a woman making bread. Like, oh my gosh, like blasphemer, right? That's what people would think. But he compares uh, the kingdom of God um, to a, a woman making bread. And, and this woman making bread, this isn't like, this isn't just like a lady making sandwiches for her family, right? There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that, but I'm talking about scale, right? He, this, he's not talking about a lady making bread for her family. Listen, listen, in verse 21, it says this, it is like the yeast a woman used in making bread, even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Three measures of flour. That might not mean much to any of you, but in the Bible, that was a big deal. Um, a baker uses that, 
a baker who has their own business uses that much flour. Three measures of flour is a bushel. A bushel is 128 cups. 128 cups is 16 five-pound bags. 16 five-pound bags is 80 pounds of flour. This woman has a ton of flour. She's not just making, she's not just making flour for, or bread for her family. She's making bread for everybody, right? And so Jesus is talking about a ton of flour. And then when you get done adding the 42 cups of water it takes, that's about 20 pounds. When you add the 42 cups of water it takes to make it dough, you're talking about over 100 pounds of dough. And Jesus says, it's like a woman who put, who's making bread. And she puts a little bit of yeast in a hundred pounds of dough and the yeast permeates the entire thing. Every part of the dough, Jesus says. The dough represents the earth. And again, Jesus is making the claim that the kingdom is already here. The kingdom is already here and it's already at work. It's been here since the beginning. It's expanding all on, their, on, all on its own and there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. The hiding of, of the yeast in the dough is even more um, mysterious and it's more pervasive than seeds. So think about it. With seeds, if you want to get literal, if I were to plant seeds and you wanted to, um, you wanted to, you could take the time, get down on your hands and knees and hunt and peck through the soil to find every single seed and you could remove it and you could take it out. Like you could do that, right? You can't do that with yeast. Jesus is making an over-the-top claim about the kingdom of God, saying for all you literal people out there who are like, oh, well, you actually can take seeds out of the ground. You actually can stop the, the crops from being produced. Like he's saying, okay, fine. you want to get literal, take, it's like yeast. You can't take yeast out of dough. Yeast makes its way through the entire ball of dough, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Yeast is different. Yeast dissolves in the liquid, and it's a part of the dough from the start. What does this mean? It means the kingdom of God has been here since the creation of the world. The kingdom of God has been here since the creation of the world, and it's just been waiting to be revealed. And if God is represented by a female baker and the dough represents the whole of creation, what does the yeast represent? The yeast represents the kingdom of God. The kingdom is, is the yeast that leaves not one scrap of dough unleavened. The kingdom is the, le- the, the yeast that leaves not one piece of this world unkingdomed. I just made up a word. <coughs> the word, Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah has always been in his creation because his kingdom has always been here. And Jesus is like hiding, right? The kingdom of God's hiding didn't begin in 4 BC when Jesus was born. It began in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the kingdom was here, waiting to be revealed. It's just like yeast that's in the dough, and it's so much a part of that dough that it's indistinguishable from it. You can't tell where the, ye- where the dough ends and the yeast begins, right? If, if you wanted to, you couldn't hunt through and peck out all the yeast. Like, you couldn't do it. The kingdom of God is like a woman making dough, 
and she puts yeast in it. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It's here now, and it's growing now, and there's nothing anybody can do to stop it. Worship team, you can come to the platform. So first consideration today with the parables, Jesus distances himself from end times discourse. Now, again, not saying he doesn't care about it, but just saying he's more concerned about other things. Second consideration is the contrast between what's been sown and what's going to be reaped. Third consideration is Jesus makes an over-the-top claim about the kingdom of God, comparing it to yeast and dough. Jesus is trying to drive home a point. Uh, I think we've all probably noticed in the five or so parables of the kingdom of God um, that we've examined that the point Jesus is trying to make is what? The kingdom is here now. The kingdom of God is here now. There's no waiting for it. It's here. He's inaugurated it. It's, it's, it's rolling. It's here. It's growing. The kingdom has always been here. It's all around you. The kingdom of God is inside of you. The kingdom of God is inside each and every one of you who calls yourself a follower of Jesus. There's, there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. There's no, there's no force that can, that can stop it. It doesn't matter what you do or say. It doesn't matter what I do or say. The kingdom of God will advance all on its own. Um, I have a video I want to show you that I believe will, will prove my point beautifully. Um, the video is of a, I think the way you say this is, I'm gonna say it the way I think it is. If it's not right, sorry. Uh, the video is of a Hezbollah soldier. Hezbollah is a um, Islamic militant group. Um, I, think, I think from Lebanon and um, they, are, they are very well known for fighting for the cause of Islam and very violently if necessary. So this, this video is, is of a former Hezbollah soldier um, who, he was in prison, he was in a jail cell by himself, and he's, he's Muslim, and he was, he was crying out to Allah for help. He said, for two weeks, I was crying out, Allah help, Allah help, and he said, nothing. Not, he didn't hear anything, no response, no help. And so he denounced Allah in his, in his prison cell. He, and he says in this video, or, you know, I'm, I'm kind of summing up the point to where we can watch the video. But he says, he says, I don't know why, but for some reason, I said out loud, Jesus, if you're real, prove it to me. And I want you to turn your attention to the video screen and watch what happens next. Right at that moment, I felt a touch on my left shoulder and a voice that says, I forgive you. And uh, I didn't understand. I did not understand uh, what, how could that be possible? Because, because I had heard Allah is forgiving and merciful. But we cannot know his forgiveness till the day of judgment. So I said, who are you that forgives me? And I feel forgiven today. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life.
And I did not understand what that means because I had never heard those words. So I said, what is your name? And he said, Jesus Christ, the living God. I fell onto the floor. And I just wept. He's in a prison, bell, a prison cell by himself. And he has this encounter with Jesus that changes him forever. There was no pastor preaching a message. There was no worship team leading worship, right? There was no street preacher like condemning it. Turn or you're going to burn it. Nothing like that. He's in a prison cell by himself. And he had an encounter with God that changed him forever. The kingdom of God doesn't need me to advance it. He can do it all on his own if he wants. The kingdom of God doesn't need you to advance it. God can do it all on his own if he wants. He chooses to partner with us to do the work of the kingdom. He chooses to partner with us that we might bear the fruit of his kingdom. This video to me makes my point exactly. The kingdom doesn't need us to expand it. The word of God has already been sown into the world and is waiting to be revealed. We just have to proclaim the good news that he's here. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can destroy it. We just have to proclaim it. We just have to trust him and bear the fruit of the kingdom. Let me pray for you this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for this, these parables. Thank you for these words, God, that communicate the secrets of the kingdom of God. God, this is hard for me to wrap my head around. Just personally, it's hard for me to, to understand. I pray, God, for anybody else who has trouble understanding these or trouble under uh, maybe even accepting the idea that this is even a possibility. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring divine understanding because this isn't my idea. This is, this is not something I came up with. This is what your word says. God, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. If there's anybody in here today, God, who, who's having those, those same feelings of, of doubt or maybe unbelief, God, help, help their unbelief. Give them supernatural um, revelation of your scripture today to understand that your kingdom is here now. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want to do right now is I want to um, I want to ask nobody to leave just yet. I, I want to just do a couple minutes of response, allowing the Spirit of God to to do work in your heart today. Uh, the worship team is going to lead us in a song, um, and I just I want to encourage you either pray or meditate on what you just heard, or um, you can sing along with the song in, in worship, but. Allow the Spirit of God to do, to continue to do His work inside your heart today. Um, so you can stand with me if you want. Um, and the worship team is going to lead us this, this morning. Worship team. The King of Heaven reigns in His kingdom that's already here. There's comfort in that. 
There's comfort in that, knowing the outcome is predetermined. We win because he does. Thank you, God. Before we're dismissed this morning, I have a few next steps that I want to challenge you with uh, this week. Um, these next steps are just tangible things we can do to take the message and apply them to our life. Uh, the first one is this week I'll read the parable of the hidden treasure, Matthew 13, 44. And that's the one we're, we're talking about next week. So you can kind of get a head start on that. Uh, next one is this week I'll memorize Luke 13, 21. It is like the yeast of a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. And then lastly, this week, I'll invite someone to sit with me at Anchor Church. So, um, be encouraged as you go this week that the kingdom of God is here. And it's, it's up to us to just bear the fruit of the kingdom and proclaim the good news. Let me pray for you one last time and we can be dismissed. God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the ability to come and worship together and to grow as disciples and to learn your word and, and all that good stuff. Grow in faith. Thank you, God. I pray that you would bless each and every one as they leave today and give us opportunities to, to bear the fruit of the kingdom this week. Thank you, God. And finally, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen and amen. Thank you all for being here today. Thanks for worshiping with us. Have a great week. I will see you next Sunday.